thank you for joining us today and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and colleague, Mr. Marty Miller. Marty, how are you? Great, Wendy. Thanks for kicking us off here. Looking forward to today's topic and spending some time with our NASM family. Yes, me too. I know this is actually an exciting topic because when you're looking at it, you know, we usually talk about just HIT, you know, and so the high intensity interval training. Today, we're actually talking about the high intensity interval training, but also making it with more of a low impact type exercises and talking about the importance of that based upon, of course, injuries and abilities. And there's just so many different things we're going to cover. So thanks for joining us. And it's going to be a good time. <laughs> Without a doubt. And I think as we move through here, you know, the introduction, it's, you know, we know high intensity interval training has become increasingly popular. We know that there's great effects from getting people to work at higher intensities, but the risk versus reward sometimes is kind of not always considered, right? We want people to move up that ladder in a sense of intensity, but not everyone can take the impact of jumping and some of these other exercises. So we don't want to leave high intensity training off the table for them. We just want to train smarter not just harder. So we're not going to say that the workout's going to be easy. It's just we're putting in some barriers and safe guards to help guide people through the process so they can do that higher intensity. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's super important. And that's one of the reasons that we even talk so much about the OPT model, because, you know, you have to start somewhere, but you need to make sure that you have proper movement patterns. There's good alignment within the five kinetic chain checkpoints and that it makes sense for the client because we're not all going to start out in the exact same spot. And even though somebody really wants to, you know, work out really hard and they want to be miserably sore the next day, that's like their goal and outcome. We can do that by just beginning with, you know, more of a vertical load type um, program. So, and that just means one exercise to another, to another, reducing the amount of rest periods without it having to be everything from a burpee and jumping this and jumping to that and going, you know, super high intensity where they feel like their heart's going to explode with each and every exercise, because that's really not a, a really, that's not the best way to start someone. However, we have done multiple webinars, Marty, you and I, you know, talking about metabolic finishers. I'm a huge, huge advocate for those. Like, you know, let's get through the exercises and before we repeat into our next set, I might do something for, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. It depends, you know, what it is. And it can be something like getting on the rower, getting on an assault bike, doing, you know, my favorite, if they can do it, the leg, leg circuits. So, so just keep that in mind as we go through some of this, that it doesn't always have to be what we're seeing a lot on social media or seeing, you know, in magazines or reading about, but there have to be this, you know, really just 100% all out physical, let me lose my breath and die exercise without it just being something that's smart. Yeah, high intensity is on a spectrum too, right? What I may find high intensity might be low intensity for somebody else. And what I find low intensity could be high intensity, right? So it's all gradual. So that's where we have to be very specific with as we implement any type of exercise, but especially with this is, you know, they should be able to complete it with still good form and technique, but have some type of metabolic challenge that they can recover from before the next dose within that program. Oh, recovery. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. So let's actually talk about the benefits. Of course, when you're talking about HIIT training, what is the one thing that people always say is it's so much fun and it's very effective. And, you know, I'm working out with my friends because 
oftentimes these are done in like boot camps or they're done, you know, with, with group training. So it's more, more circuit based. It's not necessarily more one-on-one. So totally get that. And you really want that, that person to, you know, want to keep coming back and, and loving what they're doing each and every session. Of course, if there's multiple people, there's obviously a, as a trainer, I might be able to charge, you know, more than I, I would, if it's, if it's like, let's say one hour, if I'm working with you, Marty, whatever my rate is, is my rate. But if I have five or six people doing the exact same warm up and workout and, and cool down, I might be able to take that, increase my hourly rate, but, but decrease what they owe to me because there's multiple people involved. So it's definitely more, more affordable for the people that are joining into this type of training. And of course, like I said, it's definitely more profitable. And, you know, just, just as a definition, I think it's very important that we talk about what the definition of HIT is, which is an exercise training method, right? Defined by intervals of near maximal intensity broken up by relatively short rest periods. However, as you said, Marty, if you can't recover, it's not good. You need to make sure they're fully recovered before they go into something different. Yeah. And I think the key thing about the recovery is when you hit fatigue, your former technique is going to go out the window. So we've got to walk that fine line of proper intensity where the person can still execute the exercise appropriately, or now you're just loading them for the sake of loading them. There will absolutely be a breakdown. Yes. And breakdown leads to injury and all that other fun stuff. So Marty, I know this is your favorite slide. You love history. You're the history guy. So I'm not going to steal your thunder, but uh, why don't you talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, where this all came from anyway. Right. So when we look at boot camps, I don't mind the term, but I always review back later on the what, right? So when people talk about boot camps, I'm like, okay, where do they start from? You can read all this. You can find this right on the internet. I, you know, you can see, I, I put the, um, the actual reference there. And of all things, crazy enough, I'm from Elmira, New York, and they started in Elmira, New York, but it was basically a punishment and or job interview. <laughs> So if I go into the military and they've changed the boot camps and tomorrow, you know, this week, I'm actually going to be at Fort Bragg and Pope Air Force Base doing some things, my full-time job. And we're going to talk about the science. And then obviously they're going to have to really push the envelope because there's certain positions in the military that if you quit under intense physical pressure, that job may not be for you, right? Are you going to, you know, you, are you going to find a way to finish? Well, finding a way to finish doesn't mean five kinetic chain checkpoints and all that kind of stuff. So we can take the concept of boot camp where it's a challenge, it's fun, there's camaraderie, but do we need to go to the extent that the military would have had with a bunch of 18 to 22 year old males to begin with, but when it started now females as well can crush this, but they're willing to push people past their norms to see if they can handle it. So that doesn't mean that that correlates right over to fitness. It shouldn't, right? Take the concepts, take the positives, then tweak it to make it your own. But don't let that, you know, where I have to break you down to build you back up concept that does not work in the fitness space. It's a progressive, you know, undulating periodization. You could do a boot camp for stabilization training, a boot camp for strength endurance. You could do boot camp for power, let people progress, still have the fun with it. But let's just understand where it came from. Yeah. And oftentimes I know, you know, as trainers, sometimes we get really 
upset if somebody shows up late or they didn't do their, you know, the proper warm up beforehand and you've got to take some, you know, some time or, or they have to do punishment exercises. And, you know, what's crazy is some of the punishment exercises are burpees or they have to run stairs or they have to, you know, do mountain climbers for such an amount of time. But then we end up doing this whole workout with all of those included and we're like, okay, this is the best thing since sliced bread. So of course, Marty and I being the people that we are, I want to know where did this, you know, where did boot camp even come from? And so as you see kind of in the second little paragraph, you know, during the Spanish American war, so that you can see where the States back to. So 1898, our U S um, sailors were wearing leggings, which I thought was interesting leggings. And it's probably not like the Lulu leggings or, or the uh, leggings we're wearing leggings. to the gym. But those were called boots. And, you know, that came to, you know, came um, about, you know, obviously with a Navy or, or Marines and those recruits. So those people wearing the leggings were in boots camp. So they were training them for the war. And then that's how that came about. So I found that part super fascinating. Again, I'm pretty weird. I like to know where things originate from and then how we've taken where it came from and then also where we are today with it. So... <laughs> I don't see many people in the gyms doing a quote boot camp in actual boots. However, I do see many in leggings. <laughs> Just <Right>. saying. <laughs> I mean, I'm not here to judge, but when we look at high intensity interval, now we're going to add in that low impact as we progress, right? But high intensity, what's the goal? Muscle development. But then we have to look at what's going on with the joint arthrokinematics. Are we still in good kinetic chain checkpoints or we maybe we didn't even teach it because it's just intensity or now is fatigue setting in their form and technique has to go, you know, and then also cardiovascularly, like, are we sticking to a scientific principle? Are we, you know, worried about getting people's heart rates too high and not letting them recover? If they're not recovering from the heart rate zone, what's going to happen? One, mentally, two, did they, again, did their form and technique break down? Did they get injured? So we still have to look at keeping it through the model. You know what five kinetic chain checkpoints are, you know your different zones of cardio, you know the recovery. People will still get amazing workouts in that boot camp mindset, but let's not throw the science out. Yeah. And I think it's important too, when we talk about this and like you just talked about with the heart rate zones, guys, if you go through our, um, you know, our, our textbook, you're going to see, you know, how you can do our, you know, V1 and V2 assessments. Marty and I did a master instructor roundtable on the different types of cardio assessments available, you know, and I think it's important if you're doing like the step test or you're doing, you know, whatever assessment you feel is going to best allow you to get the, the most information for your client. If you see that someone's kind of on the lower spectrum, this may not be something that you should do with your clients, meaning the, the true quote hit type workouts, like the Tabata type training. They need to work themselves up to that because again, you start stressing the systems too much. That can also lead to fatigue. It can lead to exhaustion. It can lead to more injuries down the road versus if you just kind of build your way up. So do I love high intensity exercises? Absolutely. And I think that's when Marty's like, we're doing the high intensity interval with low impact training, I'm like, dude, this is, this is awesome. And so that's actually today on the master instructor roundtable, myself, Wendy Batts and Marty Miller talking about just that. What are different exercises that we can do that are around the high intensity, however, with more of a lower impact and, you know, what are the outcomes and benefits of that? Yeah. remember even in the boot camp days, that was like eight to 12 weeks. Right. And then it was a stop. And these were younger individuals. 
I see people doing boot camp high intensity 52 weeks a year. And I'm like, okay. So if you're running a boot camp, not saying not to keep that as your business model, but maybe it's a four week stabilization primary focus. Then it's a strength endurance primary focus. Then it's a power. Like you can still undulate that program and still keep people moving. And maybe there's a zone one phase, a zone two phase. Like you just got to plan it that way people will respond better, get better results and actually enjoy it more. Plus you have an entry point for beginners instead of, Hey, hang in here, catch up. Let's see how you do. Very important. Good point, Marty. I'm done then. You're the rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you take us through the research? Okay. So as you know, Wendy and I, and anything with NASM, we got to have some validity behind it, which is not just our opinion. And obviously we're going to make our opinion based on research. So when you look here, injuries during high intensity functional training, there's a systematic review and meta-analysis. So they took a bunch of research, right? Not just one research article. And it indicated the overall injury pre prevalence was 36%, right? At a 95% confidence interval, which means it's accurate. Overall injury rate of 4.3 injuries for every thousand hours. It's high. Injury rates among the five available prospective cohort studies were considerably higher, 9.9 .9 injuries versus 1,000. So basically what it's telling you is pay attention. There is injuries that are going to come from it. So can you create a boot camp environment that goes against the norm here? Because one, ethically, we don't want to hurt people. And number two, it wouldn't be good for your business anyways. So just understand that run that. I love the business model, but do it with the OPT model as your backbone or skeleton behind it and you will beat these averages, I guarantee it. Well, and any of you guys that have known Marty and I for a long time, I mean, that's actually once I started getting more away from traveling with different teams in professional sports, and I was helping someone open different gyms in the area that I was living in, we actually did small training, like group training exercise. You know, we, we had, that was the model. Basically, we'd have up to five people per hour coming in and they would do individual type exercises in a very small area that I could control. And I had everyone doing exercises that was that not as a like one session, meaning that they weren't all doing the same thing. They were all doing different exercises and I would just show one, have them count on their own, do it with, with good um, form and technique, go to the next person, show them, go to the next person, show them. And I had to constantly make sure that I could, you know, I knew what was next for everyone to keep them moving. Not saying that some of the exercises were not repeated, but it wasn't something I was doing together. And they went from one to another to another. It was very stimulating and fun for me. It was great for them because they had the exercises, you know, that they were doing were something that was specifically good for them. But again, at the end of the day, we kept their heart rates moving. It was fun. I was still getting, you know, making the profits for this guy, <laughs> showing him how to do that. And it was fun for the trainers and it was really fun for the participants. And we had people coming back. So when you're thinking that it has to be boot camp and you always have to do the same thing, if you are, Marty and I have done, again, another podcast on this, but just remember, if you are going to boot camp it and you want it to be more high intensity, you need to have what is the um, exercise that is not as advanced. So, and then what is the one that's maybe a little more advanced and you need to teach the one that's right in the middle. So, hey, those of you guys that can't do this, this is what I want you to do. You're not leaving the ground. You're just doing air squats at this tempo. Those of you guys that feel like you can do it, I want you to do more of a prisoner squat up and it's more total body. Those of you guys that really want to take it to the next level, now you're leaving the ground being explosive as possible. And this is what I'm looking for. If I tap you on the shoulder, you need to drop down. 
So on a queuing standpoint, that's what you need to think about because it is going to increase someone's heart rate. You're using multiple muscles throughout whatever exercise you're choosing, but it's very appropriate for that individual. And because you showed them all three ways, people are always going to go to the most difficult one, but it's your job and responsibility on a safety standpoint that you tap them to the shoulder and tell them to drop down. And maybe you tap them again to go to the most regressed um, without calling them out in, in public. <laughs> Great points, Wendy. Part two. So, yep. So there's more research here. Shockingly injuries during high intensity functional training. You got all the references there. Most often injured locations, shoulder, back and knees. Shocker. Right. People are doing burpees and pushups and they're fatigued and they're forming techniques out and they're jumping and lunging. You can imagine. So most injuries were associated with weightlifting exercises because now boot camps have gone even to where they're doing a lot of barbell work, where that wasn't initially the boot camps that it, it kind of hit into the market. They were more body weight and things like that. And then we have deadlifts and snatches and cleans and jerks and over presses. So you're taking the hardest exercises and doing them repetitively under fatigue. Let's just sit there for a second. The most complicated exercises, doing them at high intensities under fatigue and expecting a good result, maybe, but a deadlift is not a basic exercise. A snatch is not a basic exercise. A clean and jerk is not a basic exercise. When people do these in the Olympics and things like that, they do one to three repetitions and then they rest. So again, not saying not to, but just ask yourself, do I really need to do a snatch or could I do something else like a prisoner squat, you know, to arms overhead, right? You, there's different ways to increase the intensity. So other risk factors include, you know, the participation time in high intensity training, participate in competition, prior injuries, weekly training frequency, gender, a, older age, alternating training loads, all that has to come into account. Cause right now there's a lot of people that more is better, more, 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 more. They'll sprint on a treadmill, then they'll come into high intensity. Then they'll do, Whew, throw a yoga class in there, throw some corrective exercise in there, right? We can't do that intensity for 52 weeks a year and not expect problems. Well, and I think this, hopefully when you guys are listening to this, you're thinking about what Marty and I always stress, which is the importance of knowing where someone is starting and the common compensations are the feet turning out, the knees caving in an anterior pelvic tilt. So a low back arch and the arms falling forward. So then when you think about that and then you're, you're having them go into these types of, you know, hit from the start and then you're having them jump where feet are out, knees are in. OK, think about the impact on the medial side of the knees. If they have an arch, think about the compression um, of the lumbar spine. And if they you know, you see shoulders as well. Well, OK, that makes sense, too, because if the arms are falling forward, the lats attach in the lower back and then in the anterior component of the shoulder. So. Okay, now I want you to do snatches, clean and jerks, and overhead presses as fast as you can, usually with weight. It's it's just like you said, it's going to really get someone injured. And that's why when we were looking at research and we see all of this stuff, I'm not saying that, that these are not great exercises. A, I absolutely think they are. I absolutely think boot camp is amazing. I love HIIT training. However, you've got to make sure that it's the compensations have decreased or that you are very clear on your cueing to maintain proper alignment if you are going to incorporate these types of exercises, knowing what's most often injured when doing this type of workout. Yep, absolutely. Just know what you're doing. There's a time and a place for everything. So I've already mentioned the model's your best friend here in everything. 
So phase one and two are great for high intensity, lower impact training. And phase five is definitely there for the advanced. So you don't have to put everybody in the same group or can you pick exercises that you have variations, as Wendy said, possibly for all three different phases. Your acute variables are key. Not everything in a boot camp has to be explosive. Nothing wrong with putting a plank in, nothing wrong with putting a side plank in, nothing wrong with putting a walking lunge with a hold in, right? It's just the intensity will be there over the volume of the program. So there's a lot of different ways that you can sneak things in, but I'm always going to go back to the OPT model. Yeah. And, and, you know, just think about a push-up, just a push-up, body weight push-up at a four, two, one count. And I want you to do it four time. If you're doing a boot camp and you're doing things for time, I want you to do this for however many seconds. So think about the rep range. Think about how long for a four, two, one count, they're going to be absolutely fatigued, absolutely exhausted. And it was something that was slowed down that time under tension and making sure they have proper form by squeezing their abs, you know, squeezing their glutes, making sure their feet don't touch you know, little things like that, guys, to Marty's point, we talk about things being really hard. And we often think that phase one doesn't even need to happen because it's not boot camp or high intensity material. Well, again, it's not on the cardio side, but physically it's very exhausting. And that's why most people find it very difficult with those types of acute variables. So, you know, if you want to increase and have some cardio things going on, that's, that's fine. But just keep in mind, too, that, you know, the time under tension and the phase one really can serve such an amazing purpose when you're doing this type of workout. That's why the models are friend. So some things that I like to do for lower impact, right? I love the rower, total body, triple flexion, triple extension. And now you can get volume in without you can use it like as a deadlift or a thing like total body exercise, right? Depending on what model you're using. But you're not crushing the body. You talked about prisoner squats. So now you've got a prisoner squat to calf raise. You don't have to jump. You don't have to take that load on the land, especially under fatigue when people could let their feet turn out or knees cave in just a little bit. Power step ups, right? The curved non-motorized treadmill, the skill mill that I'm familiar with, right? I can put it into sled mode, put the magnetic resistance on, or just walk at high intensities because that curve makes me move uh, my body differently, makes me work harder, battling ropes are great for everybody, right? I'm getting my arms involved, which most people don't have any metabolic conditioning with their upper extremities, unless they did boxing. I could, I like shadow boxing because I can teach that. So just a lot of different things that can still get the heart rate where it needs to be, but you're unloading the skeletal system while you're increasing the metabolic demand. Yeah. And again, you know, Marty and I've talked about you know, plank walks and things that you don't even have to have external equipment. Those are really challenging. Anything that you do on your hands where there's movement involved, very, very challenging. We'll get the heart rate up and you can still keep that within the phase one and phase two on more of the stabilization type exercise because you are doing more time under tension in the core because you're holding that plank for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. Wendy, why don't you start off with the key takeaways? Yeah, I mean, guys, you know, we Marty and I could go over so many different exercises that you could use. And I think it's just really, really important to think about what kind of condition your clients are coming into. Have the assessments, know where their compensations lie, do some cardio assessments as well to see where is their heart when they start with you. And then that's also an advancement and a good way to show you, are they progressing in multiple facets of their exercise and fitness journey. So keep that in mind. And that's why we have the OPT model. So, you know, think about what's appropriate and at what level. You always think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. 
again, you start adding movement and jumping and, and things at very high intensity with the feet out, knees in and low back arch, they're going to come back and they're going to have discomfort. And a lot of it could have been, you know, reduced completely if you were saying, hey, feet need to straighten out or maybe we need to slow this down or maybe let's regress it at this moment. Granted, don't say regress to them, but hey, let's do it this way until we can, you know, fix this because we can't cue you out of that. Um, acute variables are your friend. Switch it up. Have different exercises. Have fun with it. You, you know, you be the creator of whatever it is that you're training and the different types of workouts that you're going to do. But the acute variables are there to help someone achieve very specific goals of those phases of the model. So remember that. And as always, train smarter, not harder. It doesn't have to, quote, I want to kill them. I want them to come back and know who the boss is. I mean, guys, they're paying you, yes, to get a very good workout, but they're also paying you to keep them safe. So just because you can do it doesn't mean they are ready for that. So think about the client and not just yourself and then put it together so everyone has fun. Yeah, no, amazing recap, Wendy. I think the thing is have fun with it. Just apply the science. Don't get caught up in the class without putting the structure behind it. Structure, what? <laughs> um, well, hopefully you guys enjoyed our talk today on the Master Instructor Roundtable with Wendy Batts and Marty Miller. And we talked about high intensity interval, um, low impact training. So yeah, it's a big mouthful, but, <laughs> but if you guys have any questions on what we covered today, or if there's a specific topic that you want to, us to talk about, then please, please feel free to contact us. And you can do so by finding me on Instagram at wendy.bats13, or you can always email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org. And my contact information is coming right up, dr.martymiller72, and email marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, great stuff as always. Thank you for your brilliance and how you just lay things out there. But most importantly, thank you all for attending the Master Instructor Roundtable. We definitely look forward to seeing you next week. Mm -hmm.